Amen. Thanks, John. You guys can be seated. For those uh, who are somewhat new, we're going through the book of Ephesians, taking our time with it. We've been in it for several months, and we'll probably be in it, I don't know, until Jesus comes home or something. Uh, no, it's we're just taking our time, probably January or something like that, February. Um, but I'm in no rush because there is so much good, important content. Um, masks. Thank you. So much good, important content. So this morning, we're just looking at one single verse. I'm just going to read it for you. It's from Ephesians 4, uh, verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. To grieve is to cause sorrow or to distress someone. The most common way we use the word grief or grieve is associated with the death of someone we love, right? We describe our experience um, as, as grieving. I'm grieving the loss of my grandmother or whoever. And it means we are in the pain of sorrow or even distress. Uh, sometimes people, especially with more sudden, tragic losses, they can be uh, inconsolable. The distress is so intense. But in this context of this verse here, it has more to do with how our actions can bring pain to, to God. A better comparison to help us understand is to think about our important relationships. When someone does something hurtful, deeply hurtful, that causes great sorrow or distress to us. Sometimes uh, children do this to their parents during the teenage years by their persistent rebellion. Um, you know, grief is not something that is experienced just for a moment, okay? It, it, it sort of rests on the individual and affects them deeply over a period of time. Uh, not all of us, of course, are parents or have experienced being grieved by the rebellion of a child, but we've probably at least at one time or other in our lifetimes have been hurt deeply by people right, or betrayed by people, or if you've been uh, cheated on in a romantic relationship, you know the grief of shattered trust. Uh, so I think all of us probably to some extent know something of this idea of grief. What is so shocking about this verse is that it's telling us that the Holy Spirit, in other words, God himself, can be grieved. 
Uh, first off, I want to really stress that the Holy Spirit is not just a force or a mystical wind. Uh, sometimes he, he kind of gets that. You know, we, we think of the Father as, you know, the Heavenly Father and Jesus. His humanity makes him very much like a person, but sometimes the Spirit gets uh, viewed as just a wind or uh, kind of power that comes upon us. But the Spirit is just as much God as the Father is God and Jesus is God. The Christian faith teaches the doctrine of the Trinity, right? One God in three persons, that mystery. So the Spirit is God himself, and we aren't sure why Paul chose the Spirit in this verse to talk about being grieved, because certainly the Father and the Son are equally grieved as the Spirit. It may be because of the unique relationship that we have as Christians with the Spirit. He is the one who awakened us, you know, when we were lost. He's the one who revealed Christ to us. He's the one that brought the gospel. He's the one who convinced us of the truth. He's the one who washed us. That was his work. And he then rested upon us in his abiding presence. He guides us. He comforts us. He counsels us. He seals us, which we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. His presence is the deposit guaranteeing our eternal inheritance. He's the blessed assurance within us. He is the one who will preserve us and carry us through to the end. So it may be that Paul is choosing to focus on the Spirit here because his work in our lives is just so overwhelmingly intimate and vital. Notice that Paul is not directing this verse to all the sinful people outside the church. He's not talking to the world out there. He's talking to God's people. Uh, I, you know, I'll say probably to some measure, God is grieved by the sins of all people, right? And by the rebellion of people who don't know him at all uh, and who reject him or choose ignorance. I think there is probably an argument that would say that, that God is grieved over all of that. But, listen, just as earthly parents feel much more grief over their own child's rebellion than someone else's child. I believe the Lord feels a special grief when a child that he has redeemed falls into hardness of heart or even rebellion. The thing about grief is that it's deeply associated with love. I might be uh, grieved, for example, by maybe reading a story or watching a movie about a young girl, uh, maybe a teenage girl who runs away from her parents and chooses to live a life of uh, drugs and prostitution. I may even shed a tear or two just thinking about how sad that story is. But listen, the grief would be amplified by a thousand if it were one of my own daughters. 
It wouldn't be a tear during, you know, a few hours of reading a book, but it would be a continual stream of tears. It wouldn't be a moment of feeling, wow, that's so sad. It would be a moment-by-moment burden of grief carried. So there's a distinction. Grief is reserved in connection with those we have a special relationship with. Again, grief is usually associated with the feelings we have when we lose someone we love, right? You know, people die every single day on this planet, even in Rhode Island, right? People die every single day, but we don't feel grief for them, do we? I mean, we might, if we hear about it or hear a news report or somebody that passed away, I don't know. I mean, we don't, you, I don't think, maybe some of you do, but I don't think we open up the, the obituary of the newspaper every day and just start weeping as we read all the different uh, strangers who have passed away. It doesn't work like that. Why don't we feel grief? Because we don't know the people. And we don't have a special love relationship with them. Grief is experienced in relation to those we have a special relationship with. Now, this thought is hard to grasp. I've not just been thinking about it all week, but I've been thinking about it, you know, for three decades, trying to grasp this verse. As I mentioned before, Ephesians was the first book of the Bible that I read as a new, I thought, well, actually, I think Proverbs was, but the first book after I became a Christian that I really got deep into was Ephesians. So I've been thinking about this for, for over 30 years. What does it mean to grieve the spirit? You know, the thought is hard to grasp, but the God of the universe who oversees, you know, trillions of stars and countless creatures, you know, many of these creatures are talked about in the word of God, and you know, you're just seven billion people on our planet, that he would be grieved by something I do or don't do? One little person? Could I really affect God? Could I sadden God? It's hard to grasp. But we do see this concept through the, through the scriptures. I'll give you a couple, few examples here. Uh, remember when King David sinned against God by seducing the beautiful woman Bathsheba who was bathing on a roof kind of across the way from him. And then uh, he not just wasn't just like a quick moment of like he you know, looked at her quickly, but it, this was like a conniving, plotting, scheming, ugly thing. He actually... Uh, you know, seduced Bathsheba and then had her husband basically killed. I mean, he didn't kill Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's husband, with his own hands, but he had him murdered, mowed down in the front lines of battle. It's an ugly story. And the Bible says that the thing that David did greatly displeased the Lord. The Lord was grieved. Or we see it in Genesis 6. It says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. That's just an awesome verse of scripture that kind of shows us 
that God feels things. God is not unfeeling. He's not emotionally disconnected. God doesn't say, well, I knew this was going to happen, you know, because I know all things. No, the scriptures don't teach that. The scriptures show us a God who feels deeply about things, whether he does know those things or not. And I believe he does, but he still feels them. The portrait of God in pain over humanity's rebellion is not an easy picture to look at. In Isaiah 60. Three verses seven to ten. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. It talks of the the steadfast love of the Lord for His people, just the lavishing of God's goodness. How the Lord poured out compassion upon His people. How He made them His own people, His own special treasure. He became their Savior. God so loved them that He entered into all of their affliction. He set upon them His love and mercy and redeemed them. He lifted them. And carried them. And the next verse says, but they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. Though this became a pattern with God's people in every generation, I think the mother of all examples of this grieving of the Spirit that scriptures often refer to is the time of Moses, the time of Moses. It comes up, for example, in Psalm 107. We can read about it in the book of Hebrews. Uh, We see it in the letter to the Corinthians, for example. It just kind of keeps popping up all the time as the example of a people that harden their hearts against God and grieve the Spirit. Uh, Hopefully, we're all vaguely familiar with the story. If you haven't seen the the animated... uh, I hate to call it a cartoon. It's just it's powerful film, really. Prince of Egypt. I would recommend watching that. It really tells the story in a beautiful way. Or maybe you uh, you've seen Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, uh, powerful movie as well. But you know it's a, it's a famous story. It's it's kind of like the the story that the Jewish people tell and remember. But God's people were in bondage bondage to Egypt, slaves for 400 years, right? They groaned under the oppression. They cried out to God, and God heard him, heard them and delivered them uh, from their bondage through the mighty miracles of Moses that you can read about in the book of Exodus, for example. The most notable miracle, the sort of finale of miracles was what? The dividing of the Red Sea, just an, an incredible thing that allowed millions of Israelites to pass through on dry ground, and then the waters came back and swallowed up all of Israel's enemies, and they were kind of finally set free. Songs of jubilee erupted, and it was incredible. It's an amazing story to read, you know, the song of Miriam in in the book of Exodus, and it's just like this climactic, amazing, uh, joyful moments for the Jewish people, but a short while after, when things got tough in the wilderness, they grumbled, and they rebelled against Moses. They became sexually immoral. They even uh, made a golden calf idol and worshiped it. Again, this wasn't a moment of weakness, this was a persistent rebellion. 
Rebellion after redemption causes the Lord grief beyond what we can imagine. Again, I think God feels grieved over all rebellion, but there is a special grief over the rebellion of his own people. This is no doubt what Paul had in mind here in in this verse, Ephesians 4.30. He's talking to, to Christians who have been redeemed. He's talking to us. You know, those who we sing this song, you know, we were once lost, but now found, right? Amazing grace. He's talking to us who were once dead, but were raised to newness of life. Ephesians 2, right? We talked about that a while back. He's talking to to those of us who are sitting in the muck and the mire of our sin, kind of like Isaiah or uh, uh, Psalms 40 uh, talks about. And he, he kind of pulls us out. He sets us on a rock, a solid place. He's the one who, like Psalm 103, talks about he crowns us with loving kindness. Our sin and guilt and shame were wiped away. The sentence of death and hell canceled. He stamped us, kind of authenticated our lives. He stamped us not guilty, even though we had sinned so much. He authenticates us. He comforts. He leads. He counsels us. He's uh, talking to us who were born in sin and were children of the devil. You say, uh, I was never a children, child of the devil. Oh, yeah, you were. Everyone was. Yeah, but I got saved when I was three. Well, I don't know. Okay. I guess you weren't a child of the devil for very long. But that's what Scripture teaches. They were all born in sin. We're all uh, deceitfully wicked. And there are children of the devil and children of God. And we become children of God when we receive Christ into our lives. And we accept the sacrifice that he made for us. And this is what scriptures talk about. And these are the people that Paul here is, well, really, I mean, Paul wrote the letter, but let's remember that the Holy Spirit actually is the one who inspired, and really the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Ephesians. And he he has us in mind and is saying, don't grieve the Spirit who dwells within you. Don't close your ears to his voice as they did in the wilderness. Don't spurn the Holy One who loves you with an everlasting love. Well, the very thought that something I do could cause grief to God is, and I I think you would probably hopefully feel the same way, it's hard to bear, right? It's hard to, to, to really, it's almost easier thinking that something that I do uh, would, would make God angry, right? That's almost, I mean, that's kind of scary in one sense to think that I would anger God. It's another sermon altogether. But to think that something that I do would kind of pierce his love and cause him grief. Come on, think about it. The people who have been disappointed in you, you can almost deal with anger right? Yeah, come on. Let's take our parents. When mom and dad are, are angry, all right, whatever, you know, they get angry at you. You kind of get angry back as a, as a 16-year-old or 18-year-old or whatever because you know everything at 18, 19, 20. 
and you kind of snap back, anger for anger. But when a parent is grieved, it does something to you, doesn't it? It affects you in a different way. But the question is, what does it mean to, to really grieve God? I mean, in other words, we don't want to be ignorant of what we might do to, to grieve him and, and to sort of not realize that we're grieving him. I mean, do you think we would always know? I don't, I don't think so. I think there are uh, probably many Christians who are grieving God all the time, and they just are oblivious to it. So it's important for us to know what, what could we do? What might we do to bring sorrow, pain, and distress to God? Now, I want to be really careful how I answer this because it's delicate. I want you to really listen carefully because I do not believe that all sin grieves the Lord. Now, certainly, God hates all sin. Absolutely. And if we sin today, uh, we are bringing at least some measure of grief to God or saddening him or, you know, he's in that moment that we're sinning. We're not, like, bringing a fragrance of love and honor to, to the Lord. Um, you know, it, it, it puts a pause on that a bit. But I want to handle this delicately because here's my reasoning. God hates all sin, but the fact is we sin and kind of miss the mark every day, right? Every single day. In, in some way, either in something we did or didn't do or something, that, a word that came out of our mouth or, or a thought that we mused on for a few moments that we shouldn't have. Like, every, we're not trying to, but like we, we, we have a tendency towards sin and we fall short. So if God grieves at all sin, that means he is daily grieved with us. That we are always grieving him. And that is not true. I just don't believe that that's true. And I believe that would very much actually water down the real meaning of grieving the spirit. To illustrate what I mean, consider this example. An earthly uh, child, you know, let's say just somebody really sweet kid, uh, you know, growing up, you know, in the Lord and trying to serve Jesus and He's just, you know, he's generally just a good kid and growing and, uh, you know, obedient kid, loves his parents, honors his mom and dad, but he gets in trouble in school uh, because, you know, he's a kid, you know, and he, he just was talking. The teacher said, no more talking. Next person that talks to you, and he did it. He's, he talked in class, and he ends up getting a detention. And so he has to stay after school and go to this detention. He's like, ah, stressed out, taking the bus back home. I got to talk to mom. He comes home, confesses to mom everything that happened uh, during the day and just what happened. He just opened his mouth and just, listen, mom would not feel grieved over her child's rebellion. She would feel compassion and mercy. So when the general tone of our lives is to please and honor God, but we stumble 
in some sin and come to the Father honestly and broken. Listen, we don't find him grieved. An isolated moment of failure does not suddenly shift God from feeling well-pleased to feeling profound grief. That's why scripture over and over talks about the Lord being near and merciful to those who have a broken and contrite heart. To the contrite, contrite is to be crushed over your sin, to feel genuine remorse over the things that you've done. And, and by the way, you know, contrite implies that some kind of sin has happened, right? And God is, it's weird, but mercy for the contrite. God is near to those who are contrite. God is near to those who have sinned but feel remorse over it. He's not grieved. He's full of tender mercy. He is grieved when a child of God persists in rebellion and uses the grace of God as a license to sin, as it talks about in Jude. When a child of God lavished, loved, redeemed, cared for, provided for, willfully, continually sins and chooses to harden his or her heart. The spirit is grieved when we, as his beloved children, refuse to forgive a brother or a sister and begin to manifest things like slander, bitterness, anger, hate, malice even. I mean, malice is like retaliation. But it happens. We grieve the Holy Spirit when God has so loved us and freely forgiven us, but then we hold a grudge against a brother or a sister. Are you understanding this? It's not, it's not forgetting to tie the one week ah, that, you know, grieves the Holy Spirit, but it's a conscious decision to not contribute generously to the work of God. It's not a moment of weakness in a dating relationship that slightly crosses a physical boundary. And again, I'm not lightening that. It is sin, and we have to be careful about these things, but that's not what grieves God. It's, it's the repeated disregard of boundaries in practicing of sexual sin, kind of shameless, with no blush, as Jeremiah talks about. It's not a dumb moment of saying something not totally true that grieves God, but it's holding on to a lie persistently over time. What grieves the Lord is when we follow a path in our mind of plotting to sin or justifying sin or downplaying sin, hardening our hearts. It's a process of shutting our ears to God's voice. Is that making sense? Again, in context here, Paul is dealing with sins against people, mostly, right? I mean, if you read kind of the before and after of this verse, you know, he talks about things like gossip, slander, anger, bitterness, malice. That's the next verse. These are not isolated fleshly blips, but are settled ways of thinking. You know, in the days of Moses, the Lord was not grieved because the normally full of gratitude people had a cranky moment. Not at all. This was a day after day after day kind of settled indulgence in discontentment. This was the persistent denial 
of God's goodness. This took work over time to dismantle the tower of all the good things that the Lord had done for them and and to come to a place of just grumbling and even longing for Egypt where they were in bondage, right? I mean, they were, they told Moses they missed the onions and the garlic. I love onions and garlic, by the way, but uh, I mean, it's kind of a scary thing. They were like, ah, we missed the old days. We we missed our time of slavery under Pharaoh. That was better than this new life that the Lord is giving us. Whoa, what an insult, right, to the Holy One. And Moses himself was grieved. That would be like us secretly saying, or not so secretly saying, I miss the good old days of, of, of drugs and when I could just kind of do whatever I wanted to do. You know, I could just get drunk, or I could just, you know, have sex, or I could do whatever I felt like. I miss the good old days of when I was my own God. I miss the good old days of, like, you know, when Satan was my ruler and God wasn't my Lord. We might not say it like that, but we might think that. How offensive to the God who redeemed us to think like and you see how this grieves him. I've watched many people through the years, many of God's children who were once so beautifully devoted to the Lord, um, cast off restraint, usually not all at once. It doesn't happen like that. It's little by little, little by little by little, just an inch here, an inch there. And they become rebellious. The most common way is by becoming bitter toward people, sour in attitude. Sometimes it happens when there's just some forbidden thing that they just got to have. They know they're not supposed to really go after it, but they just got to have it. It's going to make them so happy, they think. And so they start putting aside the restraints of Scripture. Other times, it's just a gradual casting off of restraint, just becoming worldly. Just, you know, kind of a neglect. Forget about the Bible. Forget about prayer. You know, what's this church? We don't really need it that much. They just start little by little just neglecting all of their duties as Christians. They don't want to identify as a serious Christian anymore because, you know, they kind of want to fit in more with the world. They're embarrassed to love Jesus. But in each case, it's something that happens over time as an individual persistently hardens their heart against the voice of the Lord. And I think that's what brings great grief to God. Now, this verse, Ephesians 4, verse 30, is warning us that, listen, what we do matters. How we live matters. We can drift. We can fall away from the simplicity of devotion to Jesus. We can live in a way that grieves the Lord. We can backslide, as the old-fashioned word, you know, is, describes it. We, like the hymn, and I often quote it, says, we are prone to wander. This verse is telling us that this can happen to us, so we should be careful. And that's kind of what a lot of these other verses surrounding in Ephesians, especially in the coming weeks, we'll get into is we need to be careful how we live. 
Guard your heart. Be sober. Be vigilant. Watch your life. Understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, don't be ignorant of the things that God requires of you. You know, God's not, we, we can't like play dumb with God and think that he's fooled. He knows exactly what we're thinking in our hearts and that we're avoiding coming to grips with something, some particular duty that he is calling us to do in Scripture. You know, we can pretend to others like, oh, I'm not really sure, I don't really know, but the Bible's so hard to understand. But God, no, he's not dumb. He knows, he doesn't, doesn't see us outwardly. By the way, that Scripture teaches that, that everything we do is in full view of the Lord, but it also teaches that he sees the motives, he sees the intents of the heart. He knows every thought, every deep thing in us. He knows why we do what we do. He knows when we're playing dumb. He knows when we're being deceitful. He knows when we're not being honest. He knows when we're being fake. God knows all things. So we should search our hearts and be aware of anything outwardly or inwardly that is out of line. We should fear God. And just a little side note about the fear of God. You know, it's really not the fear. When you read about the fear of the Lord in Scripture, it's not about, it's not just about the fear of punishment. I mean, I think in some sense we would be uh, pretty foolish not to fear and tremble before a holy God who is able to send fierce judgments upon our lives. I mean, that, that, that's just true, right? But the fear of the Lord is really about not hurting the one you love. The fear of the Lord is an intense aversion to do anything that would wound the heart of God who gave his life for you. Here's a good daily prayer. Show me anything, Lord, that, that grieves you. Show me. Put the, the spotlight on my heart. Because, God, I can be blind, you know, to my own ways. Show me things that could be seeds of rebellion. Show me ways of thinking that don't seem so bad now, but over time could lead to rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God. Now back to Ephesians 4.30, kind of coming in for a landing here. Um, but I want to kind of touch on this this concept here that he adds, he you know, says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then the writer adds this sentence, Paul says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this idea of being sealed is seen in other places in the Bible. We talked about it extensively uh, early on in Ephesians. But the Spirit comes, right, and dwells within us, authenticates that we have indeed been purchased by God. We're sort of branded. The Holy Spirit is like the, the branding on our life. It says, you're mine. God says, I bought you. You're my child. It, it refers to this beautiful assurance that we have, that we are kept by the power of God. So why does Paul add this line describing the Spirit's work? It seems to be for the reason of motivation. Appealing to gratitude. It would be similar to saying, don't grieve your parents who sacrificed so much to give you life, who changed thousands of your diapers. Your mom was in labor for 23 hours 
bringing you into this world. You know, it would be that, that kind of reasoning, right? Don't grieve them. They've given you so much. The one we have power to wound is the one who made us and lavished us with grace, who set his affection upon us. How, how could we do anything to him who loves us so much? Right? That's the question. How, how, could we, how could we do anything to hurt him who deserves our devotion? That's what this is about. Do not hurt the Lord who dwells with you tenderly. That's the idea here. I think of how we can almost be annoyed, right? Come on, let's be honest. Get honest for a moment here. We can be annoyed. God knows all of our hearts anyways, but he, sometimes we get annoyed when we hear certain commands, certain demands that are put on us in the Bible, maybe through the preacher. And, uh, you know, or something that, you know, when the Spirit of God is pointing to something and suggesting that a particular thing is not right and sinful, we feel like, come on, give me a break. I'm trying. Nobody's perfect. We kind of get that attitude, right? We can be so casual about hurting the Lord. Instead of feeling contrition, we feel like, you know, we act like God is a machine without feelings at all. When we think, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this thing. Maybe I shouldn't bother with this or that duty. We, we, we kind of think it through, right? We scan the heart for reasons. It's easy to let a more selfish motivation drive us, right? We think like this. We think, well, I, I, I should do it because it'll make me feel good. It's going to be awesome. Or because, you know, I just, I just want this thing. I don't think it's really going to be that big of a deal. I don't think there'll be much of a consequence. Nobody will ever find out. I mean, I know God will know, but doesn't the Bible teach that God is merciful and good and, you know, doesn't treat me as my sins deserve, Psalm 103? I mean, come on. I'm sure the God of the universe isn't going to be affected by one small thing that one little peon creature like me does. After all, look at all the good things I've done. I mean, I tithe. I mean, I give. I, 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 I've helped the poor. And this is kind of where the reasoning goes. Now, it might not be conscious, but sometimes it's just it's in there. It's in there, sometimes without even realizing it. And so we reason that the benefit of doing this sinful thing or not doing some duty, the benefits outweigh the negatives. This is how we wiggle out of duties and how we justify sin. We also play dumb, as I mentioned before, and hide in ignorance and act like we just don't know any better. Or we insist that we just can't help ourselves. Like, you know, we know what we should do, but you know, we, we just can't do it. We, we just can't. It's, it's too hard. It's too hard. The grace of God isn't sufficient. You know, that, that, that also isn't going to fly with God if we are Christians. And we're like, God, it's too hard. I can't overcome. It's not going to fly because he's going to say, yeah, but I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. I've given you grace. I will give you the power. All you have to do is keep crying to me. Depend on me. I will give you everything you need in abundance to live a holy and a godly life. So God's not really buying that. But we can fool ourselves into thinking God just sympathizes with our inability. All of these 
ways of thinking can be at play in the mind and can gradually bring us to a place of hardening against God and grieving God by our sin. Well, in this verse, Paul appeals to something much greater than selfish benefit. He appeals to the feelings of God. He's saying, don't disregard commands because doing so could cause sorrow to the heart of the one who loves you. Don't neglect things God is calling you to do because it will pain the heart of God. Don't indulge in that thing. No, just say no. Nope, no. The grace of God teaches us to say no, right? It says in Titus, no, no, I'm not, not, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to hurt God. Sometimes we just, we don't see it like that. We think of Christianity as morals. We think Christianity is a bunch of do's and don'ts and, oh, I should do the right thing because then my life will be blessed. And we think, well, you know, let me do this wrong thing. Maybe it'll take away a little blessing, no big deal. I'll probably get it back quick enough. This is the dumb ways of reasoning that go through our mind. No, let's not do the wrong thing because we don't want to wound the heart of God who loves us. Don't indulge in that thing because to do so would be like hurling an arrow of hurt into the one who loves you with an everlasting love. I don't think any of us, when we really think in our, you know, when we're in our right minds, would want to affect God who created us this way. The thought that God who made me and because of my sin died for me could be wounded by what I do or do not do is, is kind of overwhelming. It's this supreme motivation of love that drives us to lay a hold of God's grace to live the right way. Hold on to that. I know it's a tough thing to think about grieving God, but I'm telling you, it is, it is the most motivating thing. Listen, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Right? I've been a pastor for many years. Don't think I, I, I am just as human. Well, even the Bible teaches, right, in uh, James 5, uh, it talks about Elijah, who was a man of like passions, right? Elijah? I don't, I don't think I'm Elijah. But Elijah was a man of like passions. He had sinful tendencies. Pastors are not more immune to temptations or sins or struggles with the flesh, you know, compared to others. We're all, we're all in this together. We're all feeling these things. But I'm telling you, through the years, I've learned that the most motivating thing is to just think about God's heart. Like, no, 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 no. Right? Nope, I'm not. I know I could probably do this and bounce back from it, and nobody really knows whatever, you know, kind of flow with it, or God's merciful, I know, and, and that's, I, I could kind of presume on his mercy. I know God's not going to cut me off if I do this one thing, but no, no I don't, it's that motive, no, I, I just, no, can't, can't do that. I don't want to hurt the God who has been so good to me. 
Amen. That's why it's so dangerous, by the way. This is a bonus thought. When you start, when Satan really starts to work in your mind to get you to question the goodness of God, oh, he's setting you up for the sin. Because if you start to think, I don't really know if God has my best intentions in mind, and you start to really go down that path, then when sin comes along, you're like, you know what? I don't even know if God really cares about me that much. I'm going to do this thing because I, I kind of deserve it. Watch that. Cultivate faith in God. That's why we need to steep in the scriptures and muse daily on the goodness and the kindness of God. That's why we need to preach the gospel daily to ourselves and remind ourselves that we were dead in our sin. That we would be, as I've said many times through the years, we would be, I would be in hell had not God stopped me in my tracks and pulled me out of the miry clay and saved me. God has demonstrated his love and goodness on the cross and through just the goodness of God in, in our lives. Like, let's remember that. And may that be the supreme motivation to honor him in everything that we do. Amen? Thanks for listening, guys. I know it's a little longer than usual, but we're going to close with a couple songs. Um, why don't you stand up and... Uh, Let's just draw close to God. Listen, if there's anything that is in your life that you feel like you've, you've grieved God, this is a time, you know, I mean, I know John's going to sing some great songs here, but those songs can kind of be the backdrop for your prayer time. Just make this a prayer time um, in your own heart or quietly whispering. Just, you know, have a conversation with God and say, Lord, I don't want to grieve you in any way. God, I want to I wanna please you. I want to be well-pleasing to you. Let's pray that right now. Father, We, you know our hearts. We're not fooling you in any way. So, um, God, you know if there's, there's stuff in us that is, is, is off, is crooked, is something that we've just hardened our heart to or seared our conscience about, Lord, just show us that. Please, God, don't let us be grieving you and not, under, not knowing that. That's terrible. God, I, I just, we want to be, we want to be children who are not grieving you. We want to be children that, that you don't just sort of tolerate, but we want to be children who are well-pleasing, just well-pleasing, just like, a sweet fragrance coming from our lives because of our devotion to you, because of our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, because we, we, we're people who want to do the right thing. We're people of, you know, we're broken and contrite. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have a desire to, to please you. We want our hearts, Lord, to be a fragrance that is well-pleasing to you.